Hi, I'm Darren Steele, and this is the Think Queerly podcast, where I help deep thinkers and creatives cultivate their purpose and uniqueness to enjoy more tranquility, acceptance, and freedom. Now, the other thing I do is to help people think out of the box, which is why I've still got this, what sometimes seems like an odd name for a podcast, Think Queerly, because it's not always about something queer. It's not always about something specifically LGBTQ2S+. But does that really matter? Now, I mentioned this before I get into my podcast today, which I'm calling How the One Creates the Other. For some reason, this this is how I got to this idea. I was thinking about my podcast name, and I um think, think queerly, think, 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 think is so important to me. Think things through, think critically, think logically, think more open-mindedly, think from the heart. But think critically in the sense of becoming more open, more humble, and more compassionate, and that connection between heart and mind, which is why I love this term, human-heartedness, that I keep mentioning, and queer. Well, sometimes I talk about very specific queer political things or LGBTQ things, and certainly that's the history of where this podcast came from. And it originally started as Living Out, where I was very specifically thinking about coming out, the message of being gay or the message of being queer, and dealing more specifically with gay men's issues. But now, for me, it's much more broad. Queer is difference and different as opposed to the status quo. It's not better. It's not worse than. But this is the dualistic relationship that we need to have to understand the norm, the status quo, and the other, the difference. And that's what made me think of how the one creates the other. And when I say how the one creates the other, I do not mean that this is a hierarchical relationship, that the one that creates is therefore like a god or or higher power. No. The other potential potentiates the one. The one potentiates the other. You can't have one without the other. That is a duality. You can't have up without down. Now I want to read verse 2 of the Tao Te Ching. Take it in. Don't worry too much about thinking about what does this all mean. Just, just take it in because... It's going to percolate in the back of your mind when I then share the rest of my thoughts about this. So here we go. Verse 2. When the people of the world all know beauty as beauty, there arises the recognition of ugliness. When they all know the good as good, there arises the recognition of evil. Therefore, being and non-being produce each other. Difficult and easy complete each other. Long and short contrast each other. High and low distinguish each other. Sound and voice harmonize each other. Front and behind accompany each other. Therefore, the sage manages affairs without action 
and spreads doctrines without words. All things arise, and he does not turn away from them. He produces them, but does not take possession of them. He acts, but does not rely on his own ability. He accomplishes his task, but does not claim credit for it. It is precisely because he does not claim credit that his accomplishment remains with him. So from some of the comments uh, or the commentary on this second verse from Wing Sit Chan, which is the translation I'm using, the Tao Te Ching teaches us that everything has its opposite. These opposites are the mutual causations of each other. Opposites are presented not as irreconcilable, irreconcilable conflicts, but as accomplishments. One of the lines in the text was non-being or being and non-being produce each other. Where does everything come from? This idea of the big big, big bang, (laughs) this idea of the big bang precipitated everything. But what came before the big bang? Was it nothingness? Was there some form of being that created the non-being or the non-being that potentiated the being? Do you see the sort of interesting dualistic paradox here? But we know from science that in the infinite dimension of space, space is infinitely filled with nothingness. Wrap your head around that for a little while. This leads sometimes to how I might work in coaching with the idea that the thing is not the thing. The idea is not the idea. It might be something else. It might be the feeling that potentiates what seems like it's the thing. So the Tao teaching, the Tao which is the way, it is an eternal concept. It's not a principle because it is not bound to anything, whether that be something localized or temporal. It just is. The Tao might be another way of saying the natural order of things, the universe, or nature. Okay, that was really abstract. Let's get much more into the concrete for the remainder of this walking the way podcast for Think Queerly today. So think about the word up. How do we understand up? Without the opposite, the complement of the word down, the idea of up would be nothing but a meaningless sound. It wouldn't be any different than humph or oof or (coughs) coughing. It wouldn't have any kind of discernibility. But it's this relationship of ideas between up and down that when brought together, when bound together as a duality, it allows us to frame around a central idea about directionality, up versus down. And in its most simplistic understanding, up and down are linear. Right? You just think it's just straight up and straight down along a straight line. But we know that's not always the case because maybe you go up and a little bit to the left and then a little bit behind 
by various degrees or radians or however you might want to scientifically measure it. So it's not a straight line, but it is discernibly up in juxtaposition to that central point of reference. And from that central point of reference, everything below that is considered down. So the one, how the one complements the other, the one complements and coexists because of the other, and vice versa. Now, thanks to nature, the natural world, we cannot have a biological male without also having a biological female. We need complementary gonads and sex organs to create another human being. And with that in mind, how is it possible that a biological male is in any way superior to a biological female? And even conversely, how is it possible that a biological female would be in any way superior to a biological male? How do we make that assessment? When we're both human, and since we are of nature, there's going to be an infinite variety for the way in which our human bodies have matured and have developed to different heights, to different types of skin, to different types of health issues and conditions. The environment, the environment in which we find ourselves, the work which we do will make us also unique in the sense of our cognitive ability and our, our physical strength. But those are all individual characteristics and measurements which collected as a whole doesn't make one part of the species any better or any worse than the other. So at the center between the two dualities, both biological entities of male and female are needed to coexist and they exist in relation to each other. And thank you very much, but humanity cannot exist without this duality of biological male and female. Now, this idea that a man may in some way be superior to a woman is just that, an idea. It's a product of our human imagination that has created a number of mythologies that support that notion. And these myths are just a way of describing an idea or uh, take some sort of a, a manifest physicality like a higher power. But some of these myths might be the, the, the idea of the male as a warrior and a great athlete or and then coming from that, one's physical strength and ability, or a higher power as one of the myths, like a god, or the myth of the Greeks and Zeus and Hades and Poseidon. Now, if you create enough of these myths and they all depend on each other and build upon each other, and you tell these myths repeatedly as a way to understand your environment, and then if you bring up young children and teach them these myths and these approaches and these uh, doctrines and these beliefs, well, then you essentially indoctrinate, create a set of beliefs around a set of, well, Beliefs, in many ways, are myths. So you have people following various dogma. Patriarchy, 
is the example of a myth that supports the idea that somehow biological males are superior to all other forms of the human species. So following this idea, can you see how gender is also just an idea? That there is no single gender. There is a relationship of complementary behaviors that we have attributed labels to, classifications, names, words, and each of these labels has its complementary opposite or other, which created duality. So we have male and female, masculine and feminine, cis and trans, binary, non-binary, gendered or non-gender identifying. These labels, these identifiers, in and of themselves are just words. They're ideas to describe what we see and perceive and to try and indicate how this thing is different from that by coming from a central point of understanding. How these ideas are applied to the person with the conditions of good or bad or right or wrong are based in beliefs, are based in mythologies about what's proper and improper and how one is supposed to act like a man or behave like a woman and so on. And groups of people, societies, countries look to either the dominant religion or the government for instructions about how they should lead their lives following tradition or so-called common knowledge, like you are supposed to get married and have so many kids and then sign on your tax form that you are married and therefore have a different tax exemption or status. But in truth, in nature, there is no correct or right path. There's no way for a tree to grow. There's no correct way for an animal to grow. There's just the way. And as human beings, we seem to forget that we are of this earth and we are just a mar- much a part of this way. But the ways in which we try to control are forms of limitation and oppression and suppression, and in its worst, worst, prejudice. Now, the simple fact that we now have so many labels to address sexuality and gender should cause most people pause to consider the in-your-face reality that these ideas are not simplistic binaries. They are not either-or expressions of our human nature, of our true nature. Let's look at the natural world. Imagine you're in a forest, and what do you see? How many species of plants and trees do you see? And if you went into the forest with someone who was a a, a PhD in plant life, 
they might tell you all the different names of the plants and the shrubs and the trees and the things that are small growing out of the ground. And you'll realize there are hundreds of varieties of species and subspecies. And you'll marvel at the natural diversity of life in the forest. And then you can go a little bit more broadly into other species. Let's just take dogs, for example, and how over thousands of years, human beings have have worked with these animals and bred them to become our companions and to be more easygoing and easily trainable. And they don't attack us because they don't see us as food anymore. But just notice how many breeds there are. And then notice all of the mutts, the mixed breeds. And what's a mutt? It's nothing more than a mixing of the species of the variety and diversity of different dogs. So you have a Doberman mating with a Chihuahua, and you have a Labrador Retriever mating with a Mastiff, and you have a Boxer mating with a Pug. And over time, you see changes in their characteristics and their behavior. And now if we come back to looking at us, human beings, as a species. We are of nature. We come out of nature. We are not born into the world. We are an an organic product of this earth. And as sapiens, we have evolved cognitively in a way that has made us very different from all other species and has helped us become for better or worse, the dominant, the alpha species on this planet, we now have the ability to apparently control things, but that in itself is a myth and an illusion. But through our cognitive abilities, we have been able to create a level of safety that has taken us out of the threat that created a kind of natural equilibrium that meant we wouldn't wind up overpopulating the world as we have done. So on the one hand, it seems that human beings have great power. But on the other hand, the complementary side of this duality, we see how this false assumption is endangering ourselves as a species in now how we have grossly overpopulated the planet and we are using up resources at a phenomenal rate. We are damaging the planet ecologically. We are eradicating species when we bulldoze hundreds of thousands of acres just to grow more palm oil trees. Our own actions are causing planet-wide extinction and may lead to our own. Our failure to see how we are of this earth and not in control of it may be our demise unless we act in accord with the natural order. And nature as it is by itself so will survive us regardless of what we do. It may just be a completely changed planet in a couple of hundred years without human beings on it or just some modification of very few of us left hanging on for dear life. And it will do so. Nature will do what it does without it being a duality, 
without labels, without myth, without judgment, without principles of morality. Because nature just is. The biggest challenge we face as a species is the duality that we do not wish to embrace. And that is the duality of natural law in relation to human law. When I say human law, I'm talking about power and control and the idea that we have power over nature. And that in and of itself is an illusion. We have a certain amount of power over by the choices we make to eradicate a species, be it a plant species or an animal species. But there are repercussions. So human law is an intellectual construct. It's a myth, as I've said before, that pits us versus them in the sense of us versus nature. And we wind up creating far too many conflicts intellectually that lead to the actions we take, be that the constructs and dualities of right versus wrong, believers versus non-believers, those who support and those who do not believe in the effects against our planet, such as climate change. And finally, what I've already mentioned, man versus nature. And I know I should say human beings versus nature, but this goes back to the dominant myth of the patriarchy and who controls most of the power, but a patriarchal form of governance. So until we, most of us, embrace natural law, in other words, embracing nature and that we are of this earth, we will always struggle with the illusion of power, with specifically the illusion of having power over nature. In our failed attempt and false belief that we can control something that we truthfully cannot, we push against nature. And at the same time, we push against our own nature by creating limitations and labels of right and wrong about who we can be and what we can be. But the natural world never pushes back, not in a way that is discernible in the sense of acting against us. Nature simply is. It exists as it is without intellectual concept or duality. And in the spirit of what's called Wu Wei, which is the word the Taoist concept that often comes up in the Tao Te Ching, which is an idea of not forcing, just allowing things to happen. We need to be at peace with our nature in nature to fully embrace the natural diversity of who we are within the natural diversity of this world that has engendered us as human beings. Thank you for listening.